Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. We tackle the issues facing our sector through the ideas and stories of industry founders, leaders, and tech enthusiasts. On today's show, we're talking to Lisa Target. She's the UK General Manager at Tribe. Uh, Jack is on holiday, uh, so we've got Sean with us today. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, uh, what are you what are you getting up to? Yeah, I'm recording this from bed. Joy's <laughs> <laughs> a freelance joy's a freelance life, you know. Sean, it's it's quarter past two. I'm not well, you know, I've got changed and I've been up. Um but it's just it's kind of like a bed bedroom day for me. <laughs> I had quite an active weekend, so Yeah. That's- use anyway <laughs> really active i mean i was at a concert i oh, mind I, I was about to say i was at a concert yesterday and i was in work early i was at a concert it, it was barbara streisand so <laughs> oh amazing yeah, hardly rock and roll though right i mean i bet you went for it though well she's she's my wife's idol um oh. so Haley was very keen to see her uh, i got i got a bit of a music um sugar rush from the fact that brian ferry roxy music was the supporting act beforehand and i bloody love roxy music oh, so you both got your both got your fill yeah i mean look barbara streisand is a legend she is she has an incredible voice most of the music i'm like yeah okay like <laughs> there was a bit where she's singing she did a duet and she did phantom of the opera and i think andrew lloyd Webber is an ass and his music is pretty good. <laughs> All stemming from the fact that I did a production of Joseph at school. And get this, you're not allowed to take any cast photos, even in a school production in costume because of the strict yes. copyright laws that Andrew Lloyd Webber has around his productions. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Oh, that is that is just like having the best toy at the party and not letting anyone else touch it, even though you're not playing with it yourself. <laughs> yeah, not a fan of Andrew Lloyd Webber. No, no. But... Babs was very, very good. And uh, yeah, uh, the moment she came on stage, everyone just kind of teared up and started crying. Well, all the women in the crowd just cried. Uh, it was, Aww. or it seems to be the case anyway, like pretty strong emotional reaction going on. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's the best thing about concerts, just seeing how, how much it means to people. It's really sweet. I have to admit, I, I didn't, but um, <laughs> there we the are. The tears were on the inside. <laughs> Yeah, I need to grow, obviously, as an individual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, talking of, of, of one influencer, though, and I, I think I'm on safe ground saying that Barbara, Barbara Streisand, whether or not you like her or not, is, a, is an influencer, having won yep. about everything there is to win, to micro and macro influencers of, of the marketing variety. Um, so we'll, we'll swing into today's interview. It is with Tribe. They are a social media influencer platform uh have a listen to the interview lisa as i said is the uk uh, md and after myself and sean will have some thoughts so today we're chatting to lisa from is it tribe group or just tribe it's tribe tribe group we needed for the uh the email addresses but that's the case doesn't it when you set up a business and you exactly. go shit someone's already got that yeah exactly and it we dot co as well which is a constant nightmare but tribe such a generic word and term I think we just got a stat actually that we were rivaling um, organic searches for the word tribe in, in the states which is fantastic tribe because tribe is like you know people do talk about tribes in the work environment or yeah. is that is that a happy kind of coincidence that it, that's become a term that people use increasingly well yeah no it's about it's about tribes you know in social networks it's yeah. about you know we're an influencer marketplace so the name really came from you know micro-influencers and everyday people finding and connecting with small pockets of audiences that had mutual interests or um, sort of common ground and were creating mini tribes around mm-hmm. certain things, whether it was beauty or food or animals, whatever it might be. So how, how does it actually work? So we're a two-sided marketplace. Yeah. Um, we're not an agency and we're also we're not a tech platform in the way that we you know just service data. We actually... Um, allow brands and influencers to connect from an end-to-end perspective. Um, We're the only influencer marketplace uh, globally and we're the only one that delivers the brand content up front. Mm -hmm. So the way it works is that um, a brand can put a brief into our app. 
um, which will reach about 50,000 influencers globally. Um, and depending on what region, there's different cut downs of that. But it's free to put a brief live and you basically say, you know, I want, um, uh, you know, women 35 plus who are looking to protect their skin this summer to talk about the benefits of the new Olay 50 plus SPF, for example. Right. And anyone that owns that product or is willing to go out and buy it and has an audience of at least 3,000 followers or more can submit to that brief. And so if you have that product, you have that Olay 50 plus SPF at home, yep. you take an image um, in line with what the brand has asked for in, in their brief, you take that image, you set your price, you submit with your caption all fully completed back to the brand and within often minutes, hours, um, the brand will get an inbox full of content from their real customers saying, this is how I'd like to talk about your product to my audience. Mm -hmm. um, and the brand then gets the choice to kind of go through with a different lens of, okay, these are all my real customers, real advocates that want to talk to their followers about my product. Now I can add the lens of, you know, who has a really good engagement or what caption really captured the essence of, of this campaign and this product. So help me out so I don't sound really stupid, but um, say there's a, there's a campaign and one of the brands selects a, a micro-influencer. Mm -hmm. What's a ballpark figure that's not gonna sound stupid? So on average in our marketplace, and we have influencers from 3,000 followers all the way up to a couple million. Okay, so 3,000, like a, a micro-influencer. 3,000, our rate card starts at about 40 quid. Right, So and then you take a cut of that, I imagine, as a business. Yeah, so the influencer gets 100% of the fee that they set. Right. We add 30% on top of that. Okay, so it's like a margin. Okay. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, but on average, we see influencers in the UK um, getting paid about £200 per post. Mm -hmm. And the average reach of a post like that would be about 30,000 followers. So it's pretty robust and it's a really cost-effective way. But what we keep hearing back from creators on our platform because they're allowed to, you know, they can lean in, they can choose which brands they want to work with. Yeah. And we constantly have new campaigns in the app. They are able to charge a really fair fee based on the work that they do. And they, you know, get to choose exactly which brands that they want to work with based on the brands that they love and the products they're willing to go out and spend their sure. own money on. Now, everyone's familiar with the, with the kind of the, the troubles that have hit the influencer market recently. Yes. And also there are changes going on in social. Yes. You know, if you look Constant. at, apart from Instagram, which is still growing, yeah. a lot of them are beginning to level out in terms of their, their growth. Mm. And the amount of traffic that goes on necessarily just on a feed to the general public is beginning to decline slightly. So I, I, I sat through a talk recently um, where they were talking about the, 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 the need for businesses to focus on private messaging and groups and how that works. Yeah. How does that relate to your industry? Because I imagine that is a big part of how people have to strategize going forward. Yeah, for sure. I think um, from a growth perspective, Instagram is still doing fairly well. Yeah. Um, there were some changes recently to their algorithm that made, um, I guess, favored more of the friends and family level connections. You know, people wanted, as they were following more and more brands and more larger accounts, they wanted to see more of their friends and family as a proportion yeah. overall in their feed. So as that algorithm kind of switched to favor, you know, people with smaller audiences or connections that were real, um, we did see the organic reach of, you know, macro influences, celebrity influences, and even brand pages start to decline which is a good thing because you want social networks to be truly social. So yeah. I think Instagram have been, you know, really positive with a few of the changes that they've made. Um, one of those is testing in Canada at the moment, removing likes. Right. And, you know, largely they're not actually removing the ability to like and interact with content mm. or with a, a particular influencer. What it is removing is that vanity count of how many people have followed, you know, followed this or liked or interacted with this post and, you know, the impact that that has on a, on a sort of surface level. So influencers will still, or creators will still be able to see how many likes they get. Um, businesses that work with creators will still be able to get that as a feedback number. But what it won't do is drive behavior from a consumer level, which means that the content has to get better. You yeah. know, it has to be more engaging, you know, it kind of removes a lot of groupthink or group mentality around um, the, the counts. You know, I think they will, they won't remove comments, but they'll remove the comment count. Um, and I, I understand why that would be a good thing, especially that yeah. fancy thing. Because like, if I, 
I don't use Instagram as much for the podcast, but if I relate it back to the podcast on Twitter, I will hit 350, 450,000 impressions a month, but it's meaningless. It's like, so what? Yeah. Actually what matters is if we put out a post and two or three people that we know and talk to engage with it and get into a conversation, like two or three people interacting with us is far more valuable than hundreds of thousands of invisible it's also yeah it's not about the number is it you know you know from my perspective i think brands have not done the best job of jumping onto general sentiment Mm. so and and interacting with communities themselves so immediately you know a lot of brands that work in with you know social campaigns they get either turn the comments off so they don't get any negative sentiment towards their brand but that's not necessarily realistic i think the brands need to kind of from a social media management perspective go in and actually nurture the communities that are having conversations around their brand or products Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there is a bit of a risk from a brand perspective of a lot of those conversations going into private channels because conversations will still happen they'll happen about your brand but they may not happen in a way that is visible both positive and negative so I think brands will miss out a little bit in you know sort of more conversation happening privately but it just means that everything needs to take a little bit of a pivot. Why, why do you think we are moving towards that private channel piece? I mean, I, I noticed on Instagram that there are an increasing amount of adverts peppering my feed. Definitely from and a I, story's perspective. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of assumed that might put people off and it might push them towards, you know, I, I want to be in a group or in a private channel rather than... I mean, they'll just be ads in private channels. Yeah. You know, I think what, even WhatsApp's starting to, to play with, um, you know, putting ads in the feed, you know, because ultimately, you know, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, it's a it's an ad, but they're so, ad-funded model. They're so organic social networks that those ads just don't feel like there's any true narrative behind them. There's, there's no credibility. Like, if... if Surely the whole reason that influencer marketing would work is that old adage that you buy off a friend. If a friend recommends something to you, if a friend says, this film is a great film, you should watch this film, exactly. you're more likely to watch this film. Yeah. I couldn't care less if Bella Hadid thinks a film is a good film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm probably not her target audience, let's be fair. But, <laughs> you She'll know, still but, sell the film out, yeah. You know what I mean? No, I totally agree. And that's why I think we've seen so much um, demand for working with micro-influencers. Because the, the problem we found that brands had when working with these creators who had built social audiences mm. was you know, to, to get the kind of reach that they needed for their campaigns, they did have to go to one or two influencers who, who had millions of followers. And they could only work with one or two or three maybe because the actual admin involved with going back and forth and emailing and asking someone to feature your product and say this and say that, um, it was really long, but also it was you know sort of fraught with risk and error where people were copying. I mean, there's a million examples of Scott Disick and Kim Kardashian and whoever, um, you know, just doing really lazy copy and paste jobs from their PR manager um, of what to say about a brand just so they can get you know a hundred thousand dollar paycheck. And so brands are sort of getting fed up, and that's really where you know Tribe inserted a solution, which was mm-hmm. in the same amount of time that it once took a brand to work with one or two social influencers who have millions of audience you can all of a sudden work with 30 or 100 of your very own customers who have access to a lot more um, niche pockets of of different communities on Instagram and because their audience sizes were smaller um, but on aggregate equaled the same amount as working with one macro influencer what you were getting was far more engagement across the board for your campaign the same amount of social reach but inevitably tens or hundreds of pieces of content to repurpose Mm -hmm. and that's the exciting bit it's the repurposing of content sort of by your customers for your customers that create really engaging ads that do look organic and that do feed uh, sort of feel authentic and part of the instagram experience and that um don't negatively impact a user's experience of of the platform what was um what was your background before you joined tribe I always worked in digital media, so yep. I originally worked for a fashion brand in a marketing role, moved to the Telegraph, and then worked for um, Channel 9 in Australia, which had a joint venture with Microsoft and the Mail Online. Yeah. And then I moved over to London, um, working with the Mail Online here, and when Tribe launched, I'd already worked with Tribe, they're actually an Australian yeah. startup, um, and I'm Australian myself, and when they launched here, they reached out naturally to their network, and... Bingo, bango, bongo. So I guess that you're used to dealing with 
clients and brands and the, and the, the marketing sales funnel. Yeah. And obviously, if you're, I don't know, if you're the Telegraph and there's an ad in the paper or on the site, that's the very top of the funnel because, okay, there might be some brand recognition, but it's, it's pretty cold. Mm. Whereas I would assume that influencer marketing actually sits a little bit further down that funnel than traditional media and sales. It's quite questionable, actually. It's something I grapple with a lot. I think it's very quick. A lot of, um, because the, the category's grown so quickly, a lot of players are, are trying to very, very quickly prove ROI. Mm. So they're going straight to the bottom of the funnel because they can manage things like swipe ups through influencers. Influencers are pushing a lot of product. But with any new channel, in the same way that we saw, you know, click-through rates kind of decay from a digital media perspective so we move to you know programmatic models to gain efficiencies we're going to see the decline in that kind of bottom of the funnel um i guess attribution and i think that the novelty of the channel from buying from a friend mm. will i would say wear off slightly um but also instagram are going to capitalize on a lot of that behavior which is why they're including you know shop now sort of buy now buttons because they know how much shopping behavior really is happening on the platform um, and is happening driven by everyday people so i think that if we focus on just bottom of the funnel sort of role of influencer marketing there are quick gains to make but brands do need to be really cognizant of how that will evolve um and i guess who who you go to for that kind of um that kind of impact and I would still say from Instagram and Facebook's perspective that 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 sort of element of performance marketing and driving Mm. bottom of the funnel they want to be responsible for that they don't want third parties or everyday creators to kind of get that clip of the ticket they would rather be part of the consumer journey so I think that it'll always be pay to play on Instagram and Facebook to, to drive sales. Just thinking about your marketplace, you must have some real insight into what people are actually buying. When you talk about that shop now button, mm. you think about the best approach to influencer marketing, I suppose. I would assume that something like um, um, boohoo.com or a pretty mm. little thing, kind of female fashion, maybe Giacomo male fashion, something like that, fairly low cost would work. When I see an advert for a phone pop up on Instagram, I would never buy a mobile off an Instagram feed. Yeah. It's too high value. It doesn't, and, and also I'd want to go and physically look at a piece of high value tech yeah. before I buy it. So is that me just being a little bit old fashioned? I mean, what, what kind of, what trends do you see in terms of how this actually works? Yeah, I say that that is sort of directly correlated with the, the digital media mix anyway. Yeah. You know, in the same way, if you saw a banner ad, um, that you probably wouldn't click on it and buy a luxury watch. But I do see increasingly lots of high-value, high-tech kind of items in there. Yeah, because, you know, Instagram specifically is very aspirational. You right. know, it's like having a magazine stand where you've got, you know, Vogue on it and you've also got Stylist. Right. Um, and, you know, one, you might look for sort of more aspirational style inspiration, definitely from a fashion perspective. But equally, you've got the affordable sort of copies of trends from H&M and, and Zara that, you know, are actually what you can access and afford. So and if you so relate think, it back to the influencers, sorry to jump in, if no, you relate it back to the influencers on your platform, do they follow that same trend? Do they then go, well, hang on a minute then, it's, 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 it's going to be the lower value clothing items or maybe low value jewellery as opposed to, hey, look at me, I've got this phone, isn't it wonderful? I think in the short term. That's why you see a lot of direct-to-consumer brands doing so well and pretty much purely building their growth off influencer marketing. Right. You know, the stats about Revolve, which is a US um, e-commerce fashion retailer um, that have completely built their audience and work only with influencers to market their product. Right. Um, you know, Glossier, $100 million business now, um, you know, built their entire business, not just of reading comments and creating products directly in response to their consumers, but fostering their community and again, growing and marketing their product back through influencers on social. So it works, but I think um, it's because all of those elements have the direct attribution required to kind of scale and grow very quickly. What you find though, is you've got regular CPG brands, um, and regular sort of high street brands that might not have a digital presence still gaining a lot from working with Instagram influencers. You know, one being, you know, Waitrose, we work with them consistently um, with their beautifully simple recipe cards. We just get influencers to recreate the recipes that are on special that Waitrose is pushing for barbecue season or, you know, 
a vegan alternative to Easter Sunday sort of roast. And they're doing phenomenally well at driving footfall and also increasing the sales for the products directly related to those offers that they're pushing. That will never be an issue for me. Nothing ever looks like it looks like in the pictures on the book. <laughs> ever. And also the I think we're getting better size. and better though, you know, <laughs> because our, our visual perception of the world is changing. You know, if, if I think about how high quality images are now because yeah. of the tech that's in our pocket, you know, you think about how the iPhone was marketed, um, the iPhone 10, it's all based on the camera. Every piece of hardware that comes out now is about the creator and we're all getting better and we're all I get that, excited but to show our content that I cook off. looks like it's a one pot stew. <laughs> it tastes great, but it just looks a mess. But I still uh, think, you know, when, when we do when I have definitely when I have people over, I'm obsessed with how things look now. Really? Whereas I don't I don't necessarily think presentation was such a thing. But, oh I know I'm terrible at it. You know, people stop to take pictures of food before they touch it now. You know, I don't necessarily know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but whether you actively um, take part in social media or you're just yeah. influenced by people around you who do, um, it's definitely having an impact oh, on For me, if I, if, I, if I bait something successfully, I would take a picture purely to show my parents to be like, <laughs> look, it doesn't look like a disaster. Anyway, <laughs> look, we've covered kind of the, 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 the trends and some of the suggestions around where the marketplace is going. But in terms of the, the return on investment that influencer marketing brands possibly aren't considering, that, that kind of insight might be quite interesting. Yeah, and I think that comes from you know, not focusing purely on driving bottom of the funnel attribution from create creators directly on Instagram because nothing is, not everything is last click. Like we said, you know, mm. it's um, likely to be accessible products that are convenient, that are driven by trends or some sort of urgency to purchase. Okay. But... For every other brand that needs to market to their consumers in a different way, they can still leverage working with influencers, whether it's higher up the funnel for an awareness perspective or driving efficiency of how their ads perform in different environments. So a brand like Bacardi, for instance, of course, they might drive some sales through Amazon um, in terms of sort of retail relationships online. But the majority of Bacardi sales come from people ordering a mojito in a bar, um, Bacardi being the sort of realm of choice, or also people when they're thinking about hosting a party at home, grabbing Bacardi because they know and they're thinking about mojitos. So we had a great example of, you know, Bacardi came to us in Australia and said, you know, we want to capture all of these mojito moments, people drinking mojitos, having fun, and, you know, market the idea of a mojito. Um, but then what we wanted to do was take that content and take all of the sort of customer generated content of people in bars and out out and about drinking mojitos and put that into our traditional advertising. So they had a goal of, I think, selling 300,000 mojitos one summer. Mm -hmm. They ran an influencer campaign, took, licensed the content and put it in billboard ads live across, so it was a national billboard campaign. It took them two weeks to get all of the content, with 70 images into billboards. And they ended up selling 1.5 million mojitos that summer, wow. just from using outdoor and social. And they save something like 80% on creative costs because when you think about the creative solutions a brand has, you know, sort of in-house or creative agencies can be quite expensive. Um, you also get a really low variety of ads. Um, you might get sort of one or two big above the line pieces that have taken a lot of art direction, have a lot of thought behind them, a lot of testing, which is fab fabulous, but it doesn't necessarily fit um, the personalization needs that we have from a digital media perspective. And whilst lots of people moan about influencer marketing and the negative aspects with it. I suppose this is why it's not going anywhere. Fundamentally, it's a good sales channel, it's low cost, and it's that co-creation collaboration piece, right? Exactly, and for, for me, brands still aren't capitalizing on the idea of personalization. Mm. You know, the idea that you can get so many different you know, cohorts of your customers um, in the same dress, women of all different shapes and sizes wearing the same dress and actually marketing it to people like them, you know, showing off what that dress looks like. Um, that drives a huge amount in terms of conversion when you can power up a hundred different ad sets to different targeted um, groups of women online. You know, yeah. you, you'll obviously be able to optimize the creative level, whereas historically from a digital media perspective, we've only had you know, tweaks to copy or tweaks to targeting and sort of the behind the scenes that we've been able to optimize. Yeah, of course. But now when you've got volumes of created, sorry, creative created at a low cost, you can now look to sort of optimize hundreds of creative sets at the same time, but offer different base creative, not just 
cuts of different formats of ads, which I think is really exciting for for brands, for ad agencies to all move into a space of, from a visual perspective, what is converting customers? What is this telling me about my customers? How they want to see my brand, how they're experiencing my brand. And we always say, you know, there's who better to create ads that convert your customers than your customers themselves. That's yeah. that's the kind of premise of it all. Well, look, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Um, thank you very much for giving up some time. You're going to be at uh, Unbound on yes. 17th and 18th? Yes, I am. Well, maybe not 17th and 18th. What, what day are you speaking on? I think it will be the 17th, but um, we're speaking with, with Logitech, actually. Cool. Um, which, you know, they sound like the brand that do webcams and sort of presentation clickers, but actually they, they own Boom, which is, um, you know, an amazing portable speaker brand. And we, we've done some cool campaigns where they've, you know, done social listening with their customers, created a... a a product just for certain customer segments on social and, and remarketed to them. So it's a really cool case study with uh, Danny Clayton, who's the, the brand manager there. So people should come listen. If they're in yeah, London, they should definitely. come listen and say hello. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Um, how do you feel about social and, and marketing influencing? Because um, I know that we've spoken about this before with Fire Festival, but this is obviously a much more balanced conversation with some some interesting ideas in it yeah and I, I really have a lot of thoughts on influence marketing I think especially as I'm somebody that that's kind of grown up with it and watched and and watched it become a bigger part of of online life um and how saturated we are with it now mm. um and I think it was really interesting the way Lisa spoke about it and there's definitely positives of like, you know, the influencers get paid exactly what the brand pay, wants to pay them. Um, and it's kind of good for the brands. And it's really important that they're actually customers rather than just people. Because I think that's my issue with with influencer marketing is it it, it had started to become a bit of a joke. Um, and especially with Love Island, which I shame shamelessly love because it's just great reality trash um, for, for one horrifying joke, moment i thought you were going to tell me that you didn't like it i was like no i love love island no but... i love it it's just oh, it's beautiful escapism i love it um but like the joke from that is that everybody leaves uh, and then they just have loads of ads and sponsored deals yeah. and it has become that kind of cringy um like joke that people don't really take seriously it's like oh they're an influencer um and it's become become very much like it's got has has a bad rep um and then also on the flip side it's not only just that it's become a bit of a generic uh you know oh guess what it's an ad of course it is because there's some really long long exaggerated caption um and whatever and they're just posing with this thing but there's also it can be dangerous when you do talk about macro uh influencers with uh, and I think Lisa mentioned the Kardashians and how they just copy and paste um, kind of things given from brands just to get the money. But even worse than that was, you know, they actually went through a stage of promoting um, fit, fit tea or, or like kind of like pretty much laxative tablets. I can't remember what it was because I don't follow them, but um, they were basically promoting these really harmful like fat busting um, things. And it was just it just really epitomized the problem with it where you know people aren't really connected with what they're selling it's just all about the money and the conversion and it's kind of preying on people's insecurities on instagram because people it feeds into that thing of you need this to be better you need this to look better feel better whatever uh, so that's my issue with it um for sure but that's why i like what lisa was talking about you know using more of the what she says micro but they've still got loads of followers but you know the 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 more just people that built up their own platforms rather than being celebrities then have platforms i think that's the distinction um and I, I, I think, think it's really interesting i think in that context that where she's talking about the algorithm slightly changing to favor friends and family and also um the testing that's going on in canada and moving likes that vanity count having gone that's really interesting and that can only be a positive thing right like you said the Cardassians taking taking someone's money and just lazily posting something and you've got to wonder whether they're posting it or someone's just taking a photo of them that they've posted for 30 seconds and then someone else yeah. is dealing with it and they, they have virtually no idea so long as the money end, ends up in their bank account um, yeah. 
it's great to hear that there are some changes afoot that are going to drive um, a better standard of content, more thought out, and put put creativity back in to what is essentially a creative medium. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think um you know lisa said this is helping brands to interact with communities and it's very easy to just kind of sneer at that or just think it's another like you know sales pitch but i really genuinely think people do want people do want that because you know we don't want to be sold to all the time sometimes it does get a bit much when you're constantly seeing ads and sponsored ads and things that um yeah just popping up on your feed all the time but if you'll go if you're searching for um you know a beauty product like you want a new cream or you, you want some new clothes you want to know how they look like this generally means stuff to people that you know that it has their audience and and it has an audience that really appreciates it um when they actually can get because i think it kind of started with youtube i'd say like with people doing their reviews of of different products and like their rundowns of the best beauty products or the best you know like doing a shopping haul and all these things mm. i think it's kind of come from that but people know they want that they want to think more before they purchase and they want to be supporting brands and products that they actually do like um rather than just blindly you know going into a shop and and picking something up um so i think that's a really interesting turning point with marketing um that that people they want a bit of more of that authenticity um which can yeah yeah definitely come from from influence marketing but it could also of course there's still the the issue of it you know just being a a money money thing of course yeah but referrals and recommendations from people that you yeah. trust or that you perceive that you trust because you feel like mm. you've got shared interest yeah that's all that's that's you know this is nothing new it's just that, that we yes. have platforms that allow us to deliver it in a new way so when she's talking about micro influencers finding pockets of the market with mutual interest well people have been doing that in kind of black book form and and in clubs and and through acquaintances for decades mm. yep yeah definitely yeah it's just <clears throat> just the modern equivalent of that for sure and it and it helps people reach more communities they might not have in real life um because you know you you might not have friends that are particularly interested in beauty but you might really want to know about it so yeah it's definitely a way to tap into that um and like she said shopping behavior is so driven by instagram now like it's so easy to buy through there um i constantly because i follow quite a lot of like clothing brands but more like independent um little ones that tend to be just online rather than uh in store and i don't buy from them but i just like to see the pictures on my feed so i get so many like shop now little buttons come up with sponsored ads with brands that are kind of related to that um which is on one hand kind of terrifying but also yeah like it's nice sometimes just have a bit of a scroll and have a look uh, and it's getting very good at being targeted for sure um but in terms of influence my only my only issue is that is diversity and i think lisa touched on this at the end um you know saying the brands really should care about that because um it's, it's proven to increase conversion like people want to see it um, i mean she talks she talks about personalization it's interesting there that you say you know you don't, you don't want it to be too too tight you almost feel if it's too tailored there's something kind of creepy about it it knows a bit too yeah, much about yeah. you. but at the same time we're talking about personalization being something that's really positive and exciting and you mentioned yeah. diversity that inclusive thing about different groups different dress sizes you know 100 different mm -hmm. advert ad, ad sets so you've got a dress mm -hmm. but you can see it in women of all different body types and sizes and people that you can relate to so mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, it, i do feel sorry for brands i think there's a funny balancing yeah. act here that people haven't quite yeah. worked out yeah 100 percent. and like we're definitely not there with diversity yet because um this doesn't still like it's kind of talked about more and and brands are trying but on the whole on instagram and in, in, with influencers it's just a lot of thin white women still and it, it's a process and we're getting there but it's whether brands will only want to start you know reaching out to different kinds of influencers um or whether even influencers will have that platform um yeah it's like whether they will start reaching out to them just 
because they think it will make them money, which is just that that's the danger of like, will diversity just become another, like, do people only want it because it's going to increase divert conversion, which obviously mm. isn't true diversity. It's, it's just profit, profit uh, driven. But you know, I guess it's it's brands, isn't it? So of course they have to think about that. Um, yeah. But it, it's an interesting, act, like balancing acts because it's like if if the diversity is still happening, does it really matter what the brand's kind of intention is? Is it something we should still think about, or is it just part of, you know, capitalism? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I also think there's something quite refreshing about it. Like I love the Bacardi example that she gives. Um, yeah. You know, I, I can't remember the exact stats, but they saved a lot. It might be 80%, but they saved a lot on creative costs and sold over a billion yeah. mojitos. But they, they were reliant, it is mental, isn't it? But they were reliant on an influencer campaign translating through into yeah. billboard ads. They were reliant on the fact that um, we do now have hardware that is built for creators. And as she says right at the end of the yeah. interview, who better to, to create ads for your customers than customers themselves? You know, I, yeah. I, um, I definitely put some heart and soul into an advert for stuff that i care about i don't know not right now because newcastle united feel like they're ruining my life but uh you know <laughs> if for some reason i was in a position where i had loads of followers that cared about football and i could i could do do a post for newcastle united well i would because i've grown up and i'm passionate about them and i guess maybe being passionate about picardy isn't quite so healthy but you know it's great <laughs> that it's, it's, it's it is making advertising and creating content more collaborative we talk a lot about co-creation uh, and, and this is just enabling it yeah definitely and, it, and it's and it really is the future of marketing like this this is what marketing is heading towards and brands need to you know if they haven't already caught on to that they need to because um other kind of marketing is just not going to cut it when as you said you have you know real customers that have their real uh, shared interests with their audience and are going to definitely be paid more attention to than just a generic ad um and at the end of the day it's it's a job for these people you know these influencers and, and people enjoy it and it's what they want to do and we're so skeptical of it as a society and like really look down on people that you know are kind of insta famous or like influencers or whatever but it's kind of funny that now it's it's come to show that oh actually it's really it's a really valued uh cost effective like important growing thing uh that everyone just kind of sniggered at uh and now it's what all the brands want um so yeah we just leave leave people to it and just let people who care about uh being marketed to 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 engage with that because mm -hmm. at the end of the day you know things on instagram they're they're always you know hashtag with ad or like you know it's a sponsored post so it's not like you're being you know duped or deceived in a way you know that this is them trying to sell the thing and it's up to you to make that decision whether you um kind of agree with the sentiment or interest in the product in any way so i think it's quite healthy in in, in that sense that you know you you always know that it's an ad so yeah. people that engage with it are only people that that care i think on that point we will go to our advert break. One last comment, though. Uh, if you thought that Lisa was a great speaker and you want to come along to Unbound and hear her in the flesh, well, you can next week because the 17th and 18th of July at Truman Brewery, Unbound London, features a huge amount of different interesting, diverse talks about uh, technology. Lisa is one of the speakers at the conference. Um, and we've got some tickets to give away. So follow the Twitter account. Uh, the handle is at tech double underscore talks ping us a note and we can help you get along for free so yeah why don't you do that uh sean have you got a ticket i haven't i want one though all right we'll sort that out we'll sort that out during <laughs> <laughs> it's nearly the summer holidays but school isn't quite out because general assembly a pioneer in education and career transformation specializing in today's most in-demand skills have an offer for you so GA offer a wide range of programs in web development, data science, user experience design, digital marketing, product management, and lots more. And for you, for our listeners, they've got an offer of 25% off their classes and workshops by applying the code TECHTALKS25 at the checkout. There are some terms and conditions. They asked me to wrap them. 
frankly, that's not going to happen. But I can tell you that the code is valid until August the 31st, and it's not applicable to GA's full-time, part-time or online circuit courses. Once the code's applied, workshop tickets are non-transferable. The discount code cannot be retroactively applied to workshop tickets already purchased or used in conjunction with other discount codes. One thing, as a former technology recruiter, I can tell you that there's a real shortage of some of these skills in the market. So with all this beautiful weather that we're having, I reckon there are far worse uses of your time than getting down there and doing a bit of continuous learning. Welcome back to Tech Talks. We have got some technology news. Two, two short articles. One relates to uh, what we've been talking about a little bit there. Uh, certainly picking up on some of your comments, Sean, about um, I, I suppose the way that young people feel about the, the, the way that perfection and, and body image is being presented. Mm. We'll save that for second. First mm -hmm. one, though, Bose Frames. Uh, wearable technology, Bose frames, a smart audio, smart audio sunglasses that are a blast. Basically, Bose have come out with sunglasses that play music to your ears without the need for anything actually in your ears. All the speakers <coughs> are on the arms of the glasses, and it's not using bone conduction, which I thought it would be. Um, it's just a set of personal speakers that that have uh, that, that, that that aim into your earbuds. Oh, that, yeah, that's cool, isn't it? I'm looking at a picture now as well, and they're, you know, actually just normal wearable sunglasses, which is where a lot of uh, kind of wearable tech, I think, misses the mark when it's just, it's just like ridiculous and you'd never want to go, go around with it. No. Uh, these are just, yeah, like a nice little pair of sunglasses. I know. So, do they only reach your, it? like, you can't hear it outside... So, so get this, two small speakers sit just in front of your ears. Music is directed straight to your ear through small speaker grills, whilst cancelling sound is projected out into the world. The result is a sound leakage of about 1%, according to Bose. In the real world, you have to have the volume below 50%. Um, people sitting next to you won't hear it. In fact, I took delight in the, in the look. This is the, uh, the, the uh, author of the article. I took delight in the look of the surprise on people's faces when I gave them the frames and suddenly they heard my tunes blasting out. It's really impressive. Uh, so I'm quoting from The Guardian. Samuel Gibbs is the writer. But I found this interesting because I, I was doing a podcast recording last week with Sophie Devonshire from the Caffeine Partnership, and she had a pair, took a photo of me wearing them in the office when I, when I tried them, and sure enough, they're great. They're really good. And I assumed, even when I was wearing them, that it was bone conduction because the only other sunglasses that I've tried that don't have stuff in your ears and you can hear music is, is using bone conduction. And bone conduction is great, but it does vibrate on your face. Whereas these obviously yes. don't. Yeah, and yeah, I'm I'm just so interested because on one hand I, I like I like the idea a lot, but I'm also like the reason I like headphones is so that people know that I'm listening to something and they won't just start talking to me uh without kind of signaling so I can actually check the music out because people will just talk to you when you have these sunglasses on, you're like, oh wait a minute, let me just let me just Take my sunglasses off. <laughs> ah, yeah, you say that, but Sophie was talking to me whilst I had them on, and I could hear both. Absolutely clear. Ah, nice. And, and yeah, what, what, I, what I do think is cool is that, say you're a cyclist, because the, the biggest the biggest argument I'd heard for bone conducting stuff was when you're uh, traveling, say you're cycling, or even a pedestrian, and you've got headphones in, you are disconnected from the world around you. And yeah. you are more likely to get into a traffic accident. The oh yeah, yeah. Cyclist over here, hundred percent would definitely. Yeah, that is definitely where they'd be useful because I never put headphones in for that reason that I'm really scared of not of having that that um, you know messing with my spatial awareness. And I yeah. always think if something ever did happen, it would be hundred percent my fault, and I'd just feel so stupid. But if you're doing a really long journey. It is nice to have a little something, you know, like I like just having like a podcast on yeah. something like that and kind of having one earphone in that's not too loud is all right. But, you know, because of this, the, the way headphones work, they are really, especially as I don't have expensive headphones. Um, yeah, it's just not, it's just not safe and it's not ideal. And also no. they come out as well. Like 
they don't, yeah, they won't stay in your ear as you're going along. So, yeah, I'd love to whack these on when I'm on a bike. There is an obvious drawback. Yeah. Say it's not what's sunny. No, so, well, say you're sitting on a train, right? Yeah. And it's eight o'clock in the evening in the depths of December. Mm-hmm. You're going to yeah. look like a bit of a twat with sunglasses on. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. You can only wear it outside in the summer. It's a very... You'd be like, if I haven't got headphones, like, oh, damn, I've got to wear my sunglasses. But you're <laughs> going to look like an absolute idiot. Like, why have you got your sunglasses on? Oh, you know, I'm just listening to my music. Don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> Everyone else will just assume, you know, you know, when you look at that, I always think when I look at the idiot with the sunglasses on in the tube, I'm like, why are you wearing sunglasses down here, mate? Yeah, what's, what's wrong? What's happened? What are you trying to hide from? I shouldn't just be so, I don't know, uh, negative on people uh, and assume the worst of them. There we go. I should be a more open minded. That's the sunglasses lesson from... me to be better, a better person. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Life lessons everywhere can be found everywhere. Uh, the other article I wanted to discuss with you that I referred to a little bit um, earlier, TikTok. Adults don't get it. Why TikTok is facing greater scrutiny. So this is interesting. I had no idea. I knew TikTok was big. I didn't realize that it was the most um, downloaded app in the world for the last five quarters, I think. Oof. Yeah, so uh, most downloaded app on the App Store last year makes no money, barely understood by anyone over the age of 25. And he's already in fa- uh, facing investigations, fines, and bans on three continents. <clears throat> wow. It's a video sharing app for anyone that's not aware of it. Um, basically, uh, users film themselves 15-second clips typically set to music. Now, what's interesting, and certainly with what your comment made earlier, um, is that young people seem to like it because, as, 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 as it's put here in the article, the app offers something no other app does, and that's why it's become so successful. Paid acquisitions just help more people know about it. Younger people are fed up with the narcissistic influencer movement on other channels, seeing the perfect life, the perfect body, the perfect relationship, and that's why they've moved to TikTok. Oh, so they, so they like that they can see, you know, all these videos from just kind of normal people, air quotes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But the downside is that young female users are regularly reporting creepy and intrusive replies mm. to their videos. Um, yeah. and it's been worsened by the nature of the app. So rather than prioritizing the videos of the young people you follow, um, the app instead guides users to um, to the fully algorithmic you feed. Um, if a creepy guy just keeps liking videos of younger girls doing similar audio soundtracks or hashtags, uh, those are the ones that are going to keep coming up in his for you mm. page. Um, so that that's worrying, and they they apparently have also found that a lot of videos with explicit content have been shared through the app. So I found I found this interesting because it's one of those things, isn't it? Um, there are how many users? Uh, they immediately had sixty million users overnight because TikTok. Um, basically was built on the bite dance platform which was pretty huge um but yeah there there are there are tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of users of tiktok um so it's it's a great case in point of a reaction against the worst excesses of influencer marketing in the macro mm-hmm. sense um but also a timely reminder that we need to understand how tech is being used and regulate it in a mature way yeah and we need to protect kids definitely um and it's and the only thing is is it's like on one hand it's another community for kids that that you know probably i have like head and you know loneliness is becoming a, a bigger problem so it's another way for them to kind of be engaged with the social world but it's yeah another one where it's like oh how big are you on tiktok how many responses or whatever do your videos get like a really intense way to scrutinize yourself especially as they're often videos of yourself dancing and like you mentioned the, the young girls like i've seen a few before and it's always like you know these really young girls like dancing to quite like you know just like suggestive music or whatever and because that's what they're all doing so they all think oh that's what i need to do to to you know be paid attention to and yeah, I don't sound like an old, like, naggy person that doesn't really know what kids what kids think or whatever, but it's just a bit concerning that there's just to get another way for them to 
like commodify themselves I think from such a young age but at the same time it's a lot they're just having fun aren't they on the on something that, that that's for them like very much for that generation and and yeah that age of people yeah, I, I found, I found, I'll be honest, I found the last couple of lines of this article a little bit con- concerning. It says that TikTok may be fairly, I'm oh, sorry, TikTok may be unfairly singled out due to its lack of adults on the platform. It's no worse than other apps, but adults just do not get it like they do Instagram or Snapchat. Other social media channels are riddled with porn and indecent images and all open to the world um, of, all open to a world of unknown and risky um, activities. Sorry, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> TikTok is feeling the hit because it's attracted to a younger audience. Like that's a bit of a cop out to say we're just getting singled out because there are no adults on it and it's a younger audience and all the other apps are just as bad. Is not yeah. fixing problems. Yeah, and also the problem there is is literally in what they've written. This is kids, you know, like so-called porn on on bigger apps. Like often it's just like random spam you know kind of adult accounts or whatever it's not kids being preyed upon by mm. by older people like that's completely just completely different well it's not got an so, algorithm that it enables it if anything which this would see yeah. the, the the for you page that's that's a concern yeah i mean it anyway. happens on youtube as well so you know it's not just related to tiktoks there's that whole problem with um you know men commenting on kind of younger videos of girls just doing like just normal like playing sports or like doing whatever and there was it kind of people post like oh yeah look you know look at this one and it crap attracts like a community of, of of creeps basically uh so yeah it's definitely not limited to tiktok but the issue is that it's kids you know uh, not just all posting thinking that they're kind of their content safe out there um whereas uh other platforms you know it's, it's different it's different it might be, it might feel like it's cool because there are no adults on it and adults just don't get it but actually adults getting it necessarily isn't a bad thing because yeah fortunately for kids adults tend to have hindsight of years and making mistakes yeah yeah <clears throat> anyway look sean thank you for joining us for for this monday show thanks for you're welcome taking some time to have a chat about uh, tribe uh with the interview with lisa um I'm guessing that we'll see you, uh, well, certainly on, 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 on Thursday next week at Unbound. Yeah, 100%. We're going to sort you out as yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just that small minor thing. Yeah. <laughs> Until then, goodbye to everyone out there listening, and thanks for tuning in. Bye.